All right, are you ready for God's word? Are you? Good, good, good. So then I kind of have another announcement in, in a way is I firmly expected to be done with the sermon series that I was in. We've been talking about worship and I thought, okay, we'll, we'll cover it. And this is kind of how I laid it out and prayed about it and really felt good about it. And we'll finish on uh, Resurrection Sunday. And then God changed my Resurrection Sunday message. If you were here last week, you know that that, that was uh, different than I expected. And it reminds me that the proverb says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's God's purpose that prevails, meaning things change. And God, you always have a plan, you know. Um, or, you know, that's the way King Solomon said it. You can, you can say it the way uh, the great theologian Mike Tyson said it. You know, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth and then it all changes. And so God said, hey, we're gonna do things differently. And so I started to move last week's message to this week and God said, no, I'm, I'm still just, and you say, how does God talk? You ever feel like there's just no peace and you're kind of sensing, you're wanting to get that, that mm, like, yes, you know that God is, is, is with you and it's not just all in your own flesh that you're trying to pump yourself up to do. And I felt like, man, I'm just not getting it. So I felt like, okay, this is not for this week. I gotta, I gotta look for something else. And like, I kept going back to this sermon series and it's like, we're not done yet. We're just gonna keep exploring. And as I started to explore, I, I felt like, okay, I know what, what, what I'm feeling in my heart, but it doesn't make sense because this is a Palm Sunday message. And so, you know, you, you ever had those conversations where you're like, this doesn't make any sense. This is, I'm preaching a Palm Sunday message like the week after Easter. That, is it okay that every week be Easter? Is, I mean, is that like Resurrection Sunday should be emphasized every week? That that's why, and so I'm, I just got over it and I hope you get over it and not like, well, wait a minute. He should have waited till next year to preach that. Um, but we'll just, we'll just get into God's word and, and we're gonna cover two basic passages. And I kind of wanna just set it up this way. We're gonna cover a passage from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, I wanna remind you where we've been. We've been in the children of Israel, specifically being freed from captivity, right? Captivity in, in Egypt. And so God had made Abraham a, a promise, a promise that we also see is the promise he made to Adam and Eve before they fell in the garden. He said, I want you to go and be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth. And, uh, and, and then, then he, he restated that promise to Abraham. He says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to be my, my children. And through you, I'm gonna bless the rest of the world. And we see that he has fulfilled that promise through Jesus Christ. Think about it. It's through Abraham's line that Jesus was born. And now we're not Jews. We're, we're Gentiles. And yet we, we share in God's family through the blood of Jesus. And that's what, that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and on through. Um, and, and how God just continued to multiply their blessings. But if you read their stories very carefully, you'll pick up something very interesting. That there is as many disappointments in their stories as there are like victories. I mean, there's some pretty dark stuff and not only dark stuff, but, but some embarrassing things. Like the family just kept messing up and they kept forfeiting. They kept, 
And they kept missing and they, and they just couldn't get it right. And you know what I find so refreshing is that God loves us so much that he would still include those in this love story to us. I find those refreshing because when I read them, I'm like, man, Lord, here's a family that you absolutely love and bless. And you love them so much that you bless them from generation to generation to generation. How many of us want to be blessed that way? Come on, fathers. How many of you want your children's children to be blessed? Mothers, don't you want your children? Every father and mother want to see their children do more than they did. And yet I see God saying, I'm going to bless Isaac even more than I blessed Abraham. And I'm going to bless Jacob even more than. And Jacob was like, he was a tricky little dude. He like stole and, and, and he cheated. And I mean, that's just that's like, like right out of the gate. That's like how he did things. And when I see that, I go, wow, Lord, they don't have to be perfect for your perfect love to cover a multitude of sin. And is that what Jesus is all about? Jesus says, the more imperfect you are, the more I will show you my grace. That doesn't mean, Paul says, doesn't mean you go out and like, I'm going to sin so that God's grace can keep covering it, right? No, he says, but in case you do, God's got you. And I see that in Abraham's family. God just keeps covering and keeps loving and keeps drawing them in and keeps blessing them. He blessed them so much that when they, be, when they got to Egypt, remember there was a famine in the land and through the course of that famine, they ended up in Egypt. Um, and then once in Egypt, God blessed them so mightily that a Pharaoh, this was years later, came to power who was very threatened by them. Can I tell you that God wants to bless you so much, but the world's going to be threatened by it. And the world sometimes gets a little funky. You know, you know what I mean? Where you've gotten so blessed or you've had something so good happen and things are just, you're just riding the wave of prosperity or, or you're riding the wave of God's goodness. And then somebody's like, really? You ever had those, that, that, those encounters where people are kind of like, really? I mean, well, what's so good about you? Or how did you get? And at first they were good with you. At first Egypt was okay with God's people until they weren't, right? Then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, y'all are getting too much, too fast. We need to put you into slavery. And so they, they enslaved them. And then God wrote, raised up Moses to free them. And he used Moses and Aaron as his, as his vessels to unfold so much power on Egypt that it would leave the entire world in awe of his goodness and his awesome power. And, and he ushered his children out in peace. What do I mean by that? After that 10th plague, Pharaoh said, get out. And all of Egypt said, get out. Not only that, here's all this wealth so that you can go with it. How many of you know when God brings you out, he knows how to do it right? These are gold nuggets I'm dropping all over the place. I hope you're picking them up and saying, yeah, that's true. When God's in charge and he knows how to bring me out, he knows you can gain confidence. And so they go out only to find themselves up against the Red Sea. Do you remember that? And Pharaoh's army's breathing down on them. They pray to the Lord. The Lord opens up the waters of the Red Sea. They pass on dry land and it, and it crushes the armies that followed. Now they're free. And this is where our study picks up because they write what's called a Hallel. And it's in, the, it's in Psalms 118 that we find the Egyptian Hallel we'll be talking about here today. And you say, what is a Hallel? A Hallel is a praise to the Lord. It's, in a, it's called the Egyptian 
Hillel because it's part of the Egyptian Hillel, which is, which is from 113 to 118. Then you also have the great Hillel, which is from 120 to 135. And if you notice, I've left out 119. 119 is a praise song to the beauty of God's word. If you've ever read and memorized scripture, you'll memorize a lot that have to do with 119 about meditating on God's word. It's a lamp to your feet. It's all of these different things. It's all about God's word. And that's in between the two great Hillels. And one is the Egyptian Hillel, which we'll be dealing with today. And then the great Hillel. The Egyptian Hillel is a praise song. And it literally is short. It's, it's a nickname for hallelujah. Hallelujah literally means Praise Yahweh, the God of all, the great King, the awesome creator of all, the one uh, uh, who is above all, amen? And so they, they're literally saying, praise the Lord, praise, praise him for what he did. Now, do you realize that this Hillel intersects with probably the, one of the greatest moments in the New Testament, and that is what we we celebrate as Palm Sunday, the occurrences of Palm Sunday, which took place about a week before Christ was crucified. So Christ was crucified, and a week prior to that, he enters Jerusalem, and that's known as the, as the, the triumphal entry of Christ. I find it interesting that it's his triumphal entry, but it's not a triumphal entry the way the, way, uh, the world would consider it. And so as we go through this, I want you to pick up a couple of things because you're going to pick up, first of all, that Christ's way is very different from the world's way and that the people are kind of caught in between because on one hand, they're, they're trying to, to respond to him in a worldly and spiritual sense kind of at once. And we'll see how they do because isn't that our great uh, a challenge? That when we respond, yes, we're spiritual beings, but we're also very physical beings. And sometimes we want to praise God and, and be all super spiritual, and sometimes you just don't feel it. Am I the only one? I tell you, this morning was tough for me. I woke up after a horrendous night. Last night I went to bed about 12.30, which is what I usually do. That would have been fine. 12.30, go to bed, wake up at 6, get ready, get here, have, have an awesome service, right? Because God is awesome. And so I go to bed and then about 1.45, I'm just like, I wake up. You ever wake up with like a stomach ache? Something's going on. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I feel sick. And I toss and turn, finally I get up and I won't tell you what happens next, but I'm like, bad. I'm, I'm throwing up, I'm throwing up throwing up and it's not like a virus or nothing I could tell it's something I ate or something just didn't settle and I'm going what in the world is happening okay feel better brush my teeth drink water sit up a minute make sure I'm good go back to bed now it's about 230, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock rolls by. It's 5.30-ish, alarm rings at 6-something. So like an hour of sleep and a horrible night. 
and I wake up and I have to, I have to engage God. And, and, you know, I like to say to you that I usually wake up, how? This is the day that the, so I remember thinking like, yeah, I don't feel it. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what you feel. Amen. It's still true. This is the day that you have made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. And so when we worship, because we're going to be talking about worship here today. The fact is that this Old Testament worship song shows up in one of the most important weeks in human history, the most important week in human history. And it's a worship song again. It's still being used as a worship song. And what's so interesting is that the people are trying to connect spiritually, but they're still so grounded earthly. And so this song and our worship is meant to transcend us from this, this earthly, worldly place into a heavenly place. And sometimes you may not feel it. Sometimes you may not understand it. Sometimes it may not all under, you know, fit together perfectly, but sometimes you just have to press into your worship and understand that it's based on who he is, not on how you feel and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. And, I, and you know what? God, I'm just glad to be alive. I'm glad to be alive. You know, it's neat when you can find like the foundation. You know, the foundation is like life. Okay, God, after a night like last night, I'm just glad to be alive. But I do want to share these things with you because you're going to see them inviting heaven to earth, them trying to connect with the spiritual aspect of this, and they miss it. They miss it, and many times we miss it, but we can learn from their example. And so you have this Hillel that goes something like this, and, and, and I want to remind you of one very, very central thing that Worship is connecting with God. Now we're going to talk about it as, it as it being expressed through song. Now, just before you ask me, I'll just let you know, it's not the only way you can worship. You don't ha worship doesn't have to be just singing, but can I tell you, it can be. And oftentimes in God's word, it is about singing. As a matter of fact, Christianity has been known as the singing religion. Like Christians love to sing and it's, it's an expression of passion. And so the first, the first point I want to give you is passion. You know, it's an expression of passion because honestly, worship is you connecting with God and then passionately falling in love with him, passionately falling in love with him. And when you connect with God in that way, you can't help but feel peace. And so I know I'm kind of throwing out what we're going to be talking about here today. We're talking about connecting on a spiritual level, inviting heaven down to earth. We're talking about connecting with Jesus through worship, right? And ultimately you'll have peace. So we'll finish with peace, but we'll start with passion. Come on, let's get into it. So we talked about the Hillel. Let's read some of it. The Hillel in 118, you'll, you'll see it sung on, on uh, Palm Sunday in just a minute in Luke 19. But right here, we're going to read from the Old Testament where it comes from. 118. And this happens at the after they are, they are ushered in freedom out of Egypt and they go through the Red Sea. This will be found when Jesus is revealed as Messiah. What is God doing here for us? This is what he's saying. He's saying, just like in the physical, 
Watch this. Moses, through uh, God through Moses, brought his children out of slavery. Jesus, in the spiritual, brought you and me out of slavery. The day we accepted him as Savior, okay? That's why the, the Hillel is found in the New Testament, revealing Jesus as Savior. Watch this. You accept Jesus as Savior, then what happened next? You were baptized. Watch this. They, they got out of slavery. What happened next? They were baptized through the Red Sea. They went through the waters. You go, well, I don't, it's figurative. That's what the Bible does. It paints pictures for us and connects dots for us. Now, now stay with me on this. Here goes the hello. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, right? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Have you heard that before? That kind of sounds like a Chris Tomlin song, does it not? How many of you know Chris Tomlin? He's only like the, the most popular worship leader ooh, ooh, of today. And that rascal just plagiarized from the psalmist. Can I tell you it's okay to plagiarize from the Psalms because those are the best worship songs of today. Those that are taken straight from God's word. And he says, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King for his love endures forever, his mercy endures forever. Let's, let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. Now, this is the Hillel. It goes all the way through. There's many verses in it that is found in that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. And that event is recorded four times in the New Testament. It's recorded in Luke, which is the one we'll be reading. It's recorded in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and John 12. Now, this is interesting. Anytime you find an event that all four gospels capture, you know God's trying to put an exclamation mark on it. He's trying to say, this is important. And he gives it to you from each point of view. And it's interesting because if you read the different points of view, sometimes people say, well, there's, there's uh, 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 all kinds of inconsistencies. There's no congruency. There's, there's, there's all kinds of... Uh, contradictions. And I would say they're not contradictions. They're just different points of view. I'll give you an example. Um, I was studying for this message during the week and I was watching some things and looking over some things. And all of a sudden a YouTube caught my eye. How many of you just take a break every once in a while and you'll watch something on YouTube, you know? And so I, I get caught up in that. And I love watching dance battles. My kids think I'm so crazy because I watch dance. I love watching people dance. We dance all the time in our house. Like I dance with their mama. I dance with my kids. Our kids, we can just like break out into dance. It's like high school musical or something. But, but it's, it's interesting because I'm watching this dance battle and it reminds me of when you were a kid. Now this is a long time ago, but they used to have these break dancing battles. Any of y'all remember? And you knew you were something when you walked around with your own cardboard. Remember you walk around with your own cardboard underneath. Some of you are going to cardboard. Yeah, just a regular old cardboard box that you, and then you fold it up and you put it right up under here and you'd be like, what's up? And then if they go, yeah, uh-huh, okay. Okay, uh-huh, all right. You lay out the cardboard, all of a sudden you start your little, you know, and 
Next thing you know, you start doing this and I could not, I would hurt myself right now. But you know what I'm talking about. And then you better get back, Jack, because all of a sudden you start windmilling, right? And if you're too close, you might get hit in the head with the... Some of y'all are looking like, this dude is crazy. Well, this was a modern day dance battle and they had an audience and they had a camera and I'm watching it and there's a guy against a girl and the guy's like, and all this stuff and he's like sliding and man, he's doing all this crazy stuff, but he's playing up to the audience in the best part. And the audience is cheering and I'm over here from the camera angle. I only see the backside. And I'm like, dude, turn around because this, whatever you're doing is, the guys are jumping up going, oh yeah. And even the girl's like, that's good, you know. And I couldn't see it. This is God's way of showing you four camera angles. This is God saying, I'm going to show you. I'm going to have my four cameramen tell you what they saw. And so they tell you what happened that awesome day. Now, read with me from Luke what's taking place. Are we there? Luke 19, 28. When he had said this, Jesus, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite of you, where you will enter, uh, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied. And then I need you to bring that colt to me. If anyone asks you about it, say the Lord has need of it. They go exactly, you can read in verse 32, they go on their way, they find exactly what he said. The owner says, what are you doing? They inquire about it. He says, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to the Lord. They placed their coats on the Lord, I mean, on the colt, and they placed the Lord on the colt. Now, Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on this colt. Now, I want you to, to, uh, to just break this down with me a little bit. Then, as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. You know, it's interesting because Christian worship should be loud. You know, you say, well, does it have to be singing? Live loud. If you're talking about living your life as a worship song, live it loud. Meaning, don't be, a shy, don't be shy, don't be afraid to, to, to be who you're called to be. But if you're going to sing, live, sing with passion. Worship should be a passionate thing. This is important because it's always said, you know, especially, can I just talk to my men here for a minute? Because men tend to be like a little bit more subdued a lot of times when, it, when he talk about passion. That's why I love Pat. He'll be back here and Pat's like, and Pat's a big guy. You're like, you better get into it. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, but he's like, come on, come on, because guys will tend to do and there's nothing wrong with that per se because many of you are saying, but I'm worshiping in my heart. 
pastor, that's the way I was made. But that's not what I see in God's word. What I see in God's word is people being passionate because God made you passionate. And that's why he says things like this. If you really want to see what heaven's about and you want to connect with the heart of heaven, then bring me a child. How does a child worship? A child is uninhibited. They go for it. We get all that junk on us over time. And over time, others tell us what's expected. And sometimes we feel like as men, we have to do this. But, but can I tell you guys, I'm trying to help you if you let me, that if you connect with the heart of worship, there will be transformative breakthrough because this is what this Hillel and this whole story from Old Testament to New Testament, when God's people would call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, he would show up in a big way and they couldn't help but passionately begin to praise him. And when you praise him, things begin to change. Things begin to break. Things begin to loose. Things begin to completely manifest. But you have to be willing to supernaturally connect with the supernatural. With the supernatural. You say, well, pastor, I still the way I was, that's just the way I am. Watch a Dallas Cowboys game with me. I'll tell you if that's the way you are. You know why I say I like the Dallas Cowboys? Because the Dallas Cowboys will elicit a response. You either hate them or you love them. I hate them. So when they're losing, I'm cheering. And you can tell. Someone said, you want to keep Brady from winning another championship, Tom Brady? Trade him to Dallas. You see how people responded? People are responding. Listen. Can I tell you, Jehovah Yahweh deserves way more than the Cowboys do. Way more. Way more. And that's why I'm, 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 I'm wanting you to understand. Listen to the word they use. They praised God with a loud voice. Worship should be loud. Sometimes people come in and say, your music was too loud. I never see God's word saying, with softness, praise the Lord. Over and over you hear with a loud voice, with a loud trumpet, with loud cymbals, with loud worship, with loud screaming, with loud shouts. Why? Because God is saying, I deserve your passion. I deserve it. Why? Because I created you and I love to see you. Come on, how many of you fathers like to see your children come to you like this. Hey, Dad. What do you usually ask? What's? And what do they usually say? I'm bored. And God is saying, I don't want you to be bored in my presence. I don't want you to greet me that way. I want to see you. Come on, dads. I remember when I'd come home and my children were still young. Now they're teenagers. You can tell where I'm at. But when they were little and I'd come home, they'd be like, daddy, daddy's home. They'd be running around. Honey would be like, daddy's here. Some of you are going, uh-oh, he wants us to go ultra charismatic. No, I just want you to have passion for your king, your daddy's home, you know, <laughs> invite him. And so, so they begin to say this. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Do you realize that is verse 26 
of 118 Hillel. So they're singing the Hillel. You say, how did this happen? Well, this is what's happening. This is the beginning of Passover. They sing this Hillel loudly every time they celebrate the goodness of God. And they're, they're celebrating Passover was what they did to mark their doorways when the angel of death passed over those that were marked and struck those that were not. And that's what freedom from Egypt. And so they are literally celebrating what God did. And now it's the beginning of Passover week and Jesus is doing his triumphal entry into the city. And so there's literally 100,000 to 500,000 pilgrimers there that, that, are, that are there to celebrate Passover week. And they're singing and they're claiming him Messiah. They're calling him Messiah. But, but watch this with me. I want you to compare and contrast with me very quickly the difference between Jesus' triumphal entry and anyone else's. And I want to remind you what Paul said a few Sundays ago, I talked about Paul talking about the, the, the triumphal entry of Jesus. And he says, our Lord leads us captive as he enters in triumphantly. But what is he saying? Now, now go with me on this. He goes and he rides a colt. What's a colt? Is it a, is it a full grown horse? Or is it a young horse? It's a young horse. This horse may not even be full grown yet. This horse has not been trained. It's not been ridden. How would a conquering king enter a city? Would he enter on a small horse? More than likely, he would be riding the most impressive horse in a horse of war, a horse that has already been battle tested in war, his horse. And so he would have come in as a warrior with this massive horse, very beautiful, high-stepping, crushing everything under feet, underfoot as it was coming in. And he would be coming in with his generals, bringing behind him a, or a line of captives that he went into a free nation, captured them, and made them slaves. Jesus comes in on a young horse with no great pomp, not on a high horse, but down with the people. He goes into a slave nation called the world, he frees them and brings them free. A conqueror, very different. A conqueror goes into a free nation, makes them slaves. Jesus goes into an unfree world, takes the captives and makes them free. And he says, you march with me. We share in what I am giving and what I have come to establish, you are now brothers and sisters. We are all sons and daughters of the... Do you see the difference? They don't quite see it yet. They don't quite see it yet. And so all of this is taking place and the Pharisees say this to Jesus, verse 39. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. They're the ones that see it the least. They say this to Jesus. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. So they're yelling at him. Teacher, teacher, teacher. Rabbi, rebuke. Get your disciples in line. They're committing blasphemy but they're, because they're calling you the Messiah, the King of Kings. 
You know what Jesus says to them? Read it. I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately begin to cry. Watch this. Worship with passion and worship like it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's your privilege. It's not the stone's privilege. You are the pinnacle of all creation, God's creation. And he says, I want you to worship me. I want you to, see, worship is not just that you grovel there and, you, and, and you're a lowly worm. Worship, when you worship and you humble your heart, you're never higher because God elevates you. What does the Bible say? He who humbles himself, God will lift up. He will lift you up. He will bring you close to his heart. You will connect with his peace. That's what worship's about. The enemy tells you that it's something lowly and miserable and worm-like. There's nothing but power in worship, beauty in worship, breakthrough in worship. And that's why he said, it's my privilege to you. You need to worship because in worship we connect and you get more from me than you could ever have gotten any other way. That's what he's saying here. He says, but watch, in case you're wondering where that comes from, I'm gonna explain it very quickly. This is a fulfillment, this act, when he comes into Jerusalem and he's, and he's hailed the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah from the great Hillel. This is important because up until that moment, Jesus has been keeping on the down low. Now it's getting out of the bag because you start healing people and you say, don't go tell anyone and they go tell everyone, right? Now the day has arrived. How do we know this? It's the day that Isaiah prophesied. It's the day that Jeremiah prophesied. It's the day that Daniel prophesied. It's the day that Zechariah prophesied. It's the day that all of the prophets have prophesied this specific day, but specifically Daniel. Now I know I'm talking real fast. Are you okay, second service? Are you okay with extra? Because third service, I'm losing it, aren't I? Wow, third service, my favorite service. Okay, here we go. This is, this is what takes place, all right? Daniel is one of two men that the Lord specifically calls his beloved. Do you know who the other man is? He's got a counterpart in the New Testament. It's John, John the disciple. Do you realize who got more revelation in terms of prophecy, spectacular end time prophecy than any other men? Daniel and John, those are the two. And if you read the Daniel prophecies and the book of Revelations, they go hand in hand. You cannot understand the book of Revelations without understanding Daniel. And you can't understand Daniel without reading John's prophecy. They go hand in hand. They're called the beloved. Now watch this. There's a spectacular prophecy in chapter nine of Daniel where Daniel cries out to the Lord for revelation and the angel is dispatched to him, but he's delayed in reaching him some three weeks and when the angel arrives, it's like he arrives like, I don't know if they breathe deep. I don't know. That's just my interpretation. But, but Daniel goes, where have you been? He says, he says, I was dispatched from heaven the day you started praying and fasting, but I had to fight to get here. I had to go through the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece is now coming. These are celestial evil fallen angels that are over territories. This is serious stuff. And this is what he tells Daniel. He says, this is what I want you to know. For your, holy, for your people and, and God's holy city, there are 70 weeks. Now a week in Daniel's writing is like a decade to us, but a week is seven year period for them. 
We use 10-year periods, they use seven-year periods. And he says this, there is going to be a decree, go forward to rebuild the city walls in Jerusalem. You know when that decree went forward? In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah asks leave to the Persian king, Artaxerxes, to go back. And he says, not only will I allow you to go, but I'm going to give you a signed decree. From that date, you can figure out the number of weeks that Daniel precisely prescribes all you have to do is a simple calculation back to the lunar calendar of 360 because that's the calendar they use 360 days and you will land firmly firmly on the day that Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem as his so-called triumphal entry and the Pharisees say you need to rebuke your and Jesus says do you not know that this is the day that God sent an angel to give Daniel. And on this day, I will be hailed king of kings, Lord of lords. And if the people don't take up their privilege, the rocks are going to do it. Guys, do you know how privileged you are to worship the king of glory? Not only are you privileged, but I want you to know when you worship, you're part of the prophetic fulfillment. So passion, right? Privilege, prophetic fulfillment, which we just covered. And now I want to highlight one last thing. So Luke leaves out something that you might be familiar with. And that's the phrase Hosanna. The other gospels use the phrase Hosanna, which literally means Lord saved us, Lord saves us. It's a transliteration from the Hebrew into the Greek and it literally means those both things. It means the Lord saved us and the Lord save us. So it has a past tense and a present tense to it. Do you know that your worship should be in the present, not just in the past? So many Christians say, I used to worship. I used to. God did that for me. How many of you know God wants to presently present his power to you every single day? Every single day. So, so this is what's happening here. They are literally crying out, the Lord saved us, right, in Egypt. But he con we continue to need him. When I say Hosanna, I'm literally saying, the Lord saved me at nine years old, but he continues to save me. You remember what I preached last week about confidence in faith? How confidence is a journey as you walk in faith, as you understand and you, uh, God unfolds his plan for you. Your confidence grows and therefore your worship should grow from glory to glory to glory because ultimately your privilege and you're part of this prophetic thing to bring God glory. Not just someday in the past, but in the present. And God, how many times has God saved you? I love that. I love that response. How many times has God saved you? 
I know for me, he saved me. You wanna know, he saved me at nine years old when I gave my life to him. He also saved me at about 16 when I had a bad attitude and my dad had me at the church and I wanted to go home and my dad was a preacher and I said, I'm walking home. And me and my brother took off walking home and we crossed a busy, busy street there in Houston, Texas, second ward. And I stepped in front of a truck that was going to kill me. How do I know this? Because I was griping and talking to my brother and I'm walking like this, the truck's coming this way. I see the look in my brother's eyes who stopped like back there. And I immediately turn and I see the headlights and I just know it's over. He's coming about 55 miles an hour and I said, Jesus, forgive me. I don't even know if I said it, I thought it. And I felt something I've never felt before, something supernatural, come on now. When you worship, you're engaging a supernatural God. And he grabbed me. I don't know who or what or how. I don't have to figure that out. All I know is the end result is I ended up about four lanes, uh, excuse me, two lanes back this way on the sidewalk and my brother's sitting here going, what just happened? And I'm like, thank you, God. Come on, how many of you would rather be blessed than good? And so, so that happened. How about the time he saved me when someone pulled a gun on me? How about the time? I mean, am I the only one that's been saved? And that, that, that can worship with the word, Hosanna, God, you saved me and I'm being saved and I'm always, God, in your in need of your saving. How about the time I was on the mountain and I lost my keys? See, Wolf Creek is not something you ski in and ski out of right from your condo. You drive up there, you ski, and then you get off the mountain because it becomes a ghost town. And I lose my keys in the rough somewhere. I'm not in the fairway because I'm a horrible skier. I'm rolling in the rough, like in the deep stuff. And then I put my hands in my ski jacket and I pull out all this snow and no keys and just dread because I don't have a hide a key. And I start praying, God, please help me. And I go up to the, uh, to the lift attendant and he's cleaning up and they're done. And I said, do you think I can find my keys? Have you found any keys? Nope. And then he starts laughing in my face as he says, oh, you'll find your keys all right. In the spring, and I'm like, oh Lord, I'm standing there. I mean, it's, it's, it's lonely. My kids are like worried. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm not a ski guy. I'm from Texas. This is like my first, second time out of state. And I'm sitting there praying, God, I need you, Lord, in a big way. Save me, God, you've saved my sorry butt so many times. And just then a guy comes up and he goes, watch this, he goes, whoosh. I wake up and this is what he says to me. He says, you're praying, aren't you? I said, yes, sir, I'm praying, all right. He goes, I know what you're praying for. He goes, you drive a Toyota. Like, yes, God, you are good. Come on, with passion, with passion. Yes, Lord, you are good. Yes, it's a privilege to worship you. Yes, you are a present God in my present need, not in my past need, in my present need. In my present need. So, so he looks at me and he says, I don't know what it was, but I'm the last guy down the mountain just checking everything for, you know, just, just checking for people. And something says stop, so I stop. 
and something says, look over there. And I look, man, you were way off the path. <laughs> and I had to work to get over there. I don't know what it was and I don't know what caused I said, I know what, it's a who. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so he gave me my keys and my wife is like, oh my goodness, God just loves you. Can I tell you, God loves you too. Say it with me, God loves you too. God loves you and it's worth our worship. So this is where we finish. This is where we finish. You wanna know the phrase that, that Luke does include? He includes this phrase, read it with me. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Do you realize we've heard that before? Where? Where do we hear this before? At Jesus' birth. You know what Luke is doing for us? Notice, glory to him in the highest. You are called to bring God glory, but more importantly, what's happening here is heaven and earth just collided. Heaven and earth just overlapped. This is what the angels sang when they introduced Jesus at his birth. And now you get to sing it as you introduce Jesus as Messiah to the world. And it's the song of heaven. And we get the privilege to bring heaven down to earth. Isn't this what Jesus taught us to pray? Our father who art in heaven, right? hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you worship, you are inviting a heavenly kingdom to come and to mark your life, to mark your home, to be a part of what you're doing. You go, I don't know if I get into all of that. You don't have to get into all of it. If you don't pray to God and invite his kingdom to earth, the enemy will invade your space with his. And his is not just physical, it's spiritual too. So you go, okay, wow, wow. This is, this is crazy. What's the P word for that? Power. There's power when heaven invades earth. Lastly, peace. Go with me to the last verse. It's in 41 and 42, peace. It is possible to worship from a very earthly standpoint and miss the peace. What do I mean by this? Read that with me very closely. So this triumphal entry is taking place. They want him to rebuke disciples. He says, no, they connect him with the great Hillel. They call him the King, the Messiah. I mean, they're, they're doing everything right, it seems like. Except they miss who he really is. Why? Because they're too focused on the physical. If you want to have breakthrough, you've got to understand that Christ wants to move in the spiritual before he unfolds his physical. Watch. It's right here. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept. He begins to cry. Why? And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. He's saying, I am the, who is Jesus? Who did Isaiah say Jesus was? He is the prince of peace. 
Do you know what they want? They want a military physical king. What did Jesus come to establish first? Spiritual kingdom. Then the physical will come at his second coming. Jesus wants to break through in the spiritual, then the physical. They want to cast off Rome's rule. And they want him to do it. So they're like, you got the, you're going to do it. When they see it not going that way, they shout crucify him one week later. Less than a week later. They shout crucify him. Why? Because they were so focused on an earthly peace. We want this to be done in our political sphere. And this is what needs to be solved. And doggone it, you won't do it. Crucify you. He cries because he understands that Rome is about to come down on their little rebellion. And by 70 AD, he's in, he's in 33 AD. By 70 AD, Rome will totally annihilate their rebellion. He says they will destroy the temple to where there's not even one stone stacked on another. They will kill Christians and kill Jews and kill, I mean, they will in, annihilate them. And Jesus is saying, you're so focused on the wrong thing. We've gone through a lot in our politics today. Don't get focused on the wrong thing. We've gone through a lot with this virus. Don't get focused on the wrong thing. Focus your children on Jesus. Focus on his spiritual. Oh, he's coming back in the physical. He is. You will see him every eye and every tongue. I love you, church. So we're going to do some, uh, I know I got off the platform. I'm going to get back on the platform. This is the one I, I hope we can use on, on tape because... I just love third service. I got to take my time and really unfold it. But this is what I want to ask you today. Is the Holy Spirit asking you to connect with our Lord spiritually, to invite his kingdom down into your home, into your life? Do we need to get Get our physical to just chill a minute while we let our spiritual catch up. And we just cry out to the Lord, Hosanna. You are the one who saved me, who continues to save me. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise be to Yahweh. Lord Jesus, you are the Savior and the Messiah. And I give you it all. Thank you. By your blood, Lord, you washed us white as snow. I love you, church. Have a great, great week. I'll see you soon.